we're in Psalm 37. We're going to continue through this. I mentioned all that. Um, I wanted to touch on these things that we're aware of in relationships because there's also this need in the church, as we've already touched on, prayer. Uh, we've touched on um, reading the Word together. Um, we didn't identify it by, by uh, individually, but we talked about fellowship. That's why you start establishing priorities about people, and even you, you start you know, kind of being around people that are like-minded. And, and I believe that, as I've touched on, this will be the third time I've mentioned this, and we'll continue to mention it for emphasis. You know, our goal as a leadership team, our goal as just, uh, ultimately, I think we can capsulize as a, as a gathering of people, there's four parts to what we desire as a church. We want to learn the Word, continue to be learning the Word. We want to be learning to serve. We want to be learning to love and learning to do life together. And some of us, we, we get up parts of that really well, but we really need all four parts. You can be so much in the Word that you can't stand people. Is that possible? You, you can be so much, you really can. You know why I know this? Because history proves it. Has there ever been anybody who read the Word of God and read the Word of God and then went out and killed somebody for it? Actually, there is, Joe. Yeah, if you think about it, historically speaking. You ever heard of the thing called the Crusades? You ever heard of some of these other things? Now, I know you and I are on the same page. You know, you can't read the Word of God and, and be consciously aware of His presence and be submitted to Him and desire to know Him and then go out and do these aberrant things. But you can just do this one thing and allow yourself to just be this. This is all I'm going to do. I've met people that are so knowledgeable of the Bible, they don't know what it means. And they can quote it left and right. They can go, you know, and I was at risk of that. I went to 10 different Bible studies a week at one time just after getting saved. 10 Bible studies a week. And I, and I got to realize, man, I'm just getting so into this. I, I would go from one to the other, literally. Instead of like getting to know the people, I was on to the next study. See what I'm saying? There's an important part that we all need to be aware of, and that is we do need to learn the Word. We learn it, I believe, through study personally and engagement publicly. And where we get together such as like this. Uh, we, learn it, we learn to serve by being aware of needs. America, American Christianity, Western Christianity looks at what I want to do, how can I serve? But that's not really truthful if you think it wouldn't serve indicate fulfill a need if you think about what Jesus has done and how he, he, he models and shows sacrificial servant leadership type stuff. So learning to serve is learning to see a need and then go, oh God, not me. Well, maybe. I don't know. I, I, oh Lord. Do you know what I'm talking about? I know some of you. You've, you've served in like Sunday school or somewhere, and you're like, this is not my deal. But yet, God has just kind of stirred your heart. So you, you know, were a helper in a class, or maybe you were do, you know, making the, doing the curriculum, or some people have ushered, and they just were kind of terrified about greeting people. But when they said, Lord, where, there's a need, could you send someone? And God says, well, how about you? How about someone else? And then there's just working through because we're wanting to be honest. So learning to serve, learning to love, you know, learning to do these things and learning to do life together. 
I believe it's where uh, we have to be, have a, a greater sensitivity. I, I believe it's easy to come in at, uh, say, we, say we have, well, we started tonight at 6.30. So you come in, it's easy to come in at 6.30. Uh, see, they get done at 8 tonight, right? Yeah, okay, so at 8 o'clock, you're walking out the door heading home because you realize, well, I can do the laundry or I can do this in the garage. Or, there's all this stuff in our Western minds. We're just stacking on there. Instead of saying, you know what? I can get there early. I can hang a little bit. I can actually get to know people. It's, it's really fascinating because I'm this person who I, I grew up, I was, so, I was so oriented on efficiency, partly to do with the job I referenced, that, you know, it just seemed like, okay, let's go do the next thing. We've got to be doing something. And it, it took me a while as a, as a young Christian to learn to just sit still. As Psalm 4610 teaches to be still and know that he is God. And he will be exalted among the people, among the nations. And then realizing, okay, so just, I want to encourage you, just learn to do life together. We're going to end here uh, a little early tonight, but actually it's not, we're not ending early, we're just changing the format. So we can have time at the end to be able to have time to just talk about doing life together. Uh, I was meeting with, uh, with Joan and some of the uh, youth leaders and talked about just restructuring even some of the things within the youth ministry so we can encourage them to not... Build digital relationships, but to build literally like face-to-face, the real face-to-face type stuff. You see what I'm saying? Because it's really important in our world. So it's actually for some of us that are older and we haven't made that a pattern, it's going to be really hard to not to bolt for the door because, you know, we can. But I, I want to encourage you. It's beneficial to learn to do life together. God has designed human engagement as an essential part of the human experience it's not it's really not negotiable honestly he came to his own he came as a man i mean do you think there's any other way he could have reconciled this problem of humanity i would say yeah there probably is but not with the peak expression of love not in the fulfillment of justice so he chose to come as a man and he actually hung out with a bunch of misfits he hung out with cultural rejects. He hung out with some who were successful by the world's eyes, but they were seeking. And, and, and it, so here's what happens with us as people. We actually, and I don't get all humanistic on me and mystical, but it, we energize off of engagement. When, you, when you're with someone and you start talking and there's a, there's a compatibility, there's a, a respect, there's a willingness to engage, you can have contrary opinions and actually, when you're done talking to him, you literally, it's like charging the batteries a little bit. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? And we sometimes wrongfully associate it to the topic discussed or the point of the connection, and it's not. It's just from being together around people. God has designed us to really like, kind of come to life from people and, and with people. So learning to do life together. I wanted to emphasize it. You'll probably hear it again, I'm sure. Let's do a quick review of Psalm 37, verses 1 through 8. This is a psalm that contrasts those who know and trust God with those who are self-concerned, self-consumed, and mostly self-conscious. At the core of wickedness, which is a word that will be used frequently through this psalm, wickedness or evil, at the core of wickedness is selfishness self-mindedness 
Wicked does not have to be dressed in black and robbing people and breaking things for us to say, oh, that's wicked, that's evil. Wickedness is expressed in many ways, but at its core, it's an expression of selfishness. I want to do it my way, I'm going to do it my way, no one can keep me from my way. So let's pray, and we'll jump in. God, as we approach your word tonight, we want to just do it with a holy reverence, with a high regard. For we know, God, you have preserved the truths, not just as principles and concepts and axioms and things to hold on to. That's beautiful. But you have made known yourself through the written word. You reveal things about yourself, about your awareness of time, eternity, about your dealing with evil and injustice and how you will handle and take care of everything perfectly in a perfect time, in a perfect way. And God, as we would read through these things, we want, Holy Spirit, you to speak to our hearts, to build us up and strengthen us, correct us where we need correction, comfort where we need comfort, heal where we need healing. We not try to figure it out on our own, but we find out what faith looks like in our own lives that we would live according to your truth, that we would walk with the knowledge of your presence, and that we would be transformed people because of who you are. Teach us this night, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Well, in verse 1, do not fret. We looked at it last week. speaks of do not be uh, kindled, worked up. Do not be furious, hot, angry, different ways. He says, do not fret because of evildoers. That's that contrast. We've seen in verse 2, you know, it speaks of that they'll, they, they shall be soon cut down and wither. The dilemma we face is we see evil prosper and righteousness seems to be held down and walked upon. We forget sometimes as we looked last week, the, the eternal view, if you would. We looked at Psalm 73, 17, where it says, Until I went into the sanctuary of the Lord, then I understood their end. Then we understood, stand like, oh man, this is the best that this is going to be for some people because they will continue to reject God. They'll continue to you know, not submit, but to resist his leading, his presence, and they will die internally separated from him. He goes on to say, you know, as he's speaking, you know, in regards to exhortation and encouragement, in verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell on the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires or the requests of your heart. So instead of worrying and envying, we're instructed to trust and do good. And I find that interesting because I believe we usually know the right thing to do. We really know what to do. We, we really do. The question is, will we do it? And that's that honesty part we touched on briefly as we began. Uh, oftentimes when I meet people and we go over some, whether we kind of call it counseling, it's really, we just, I don't do counseling, I do discipleship in and through the Word of God. But when there's relational things, maybe husband-wife type stuff, I actually found, I've found the most successful part is when there's two honest people deal with real world problems and, and i ask them so what do you, where do you what do you see as the situation what do you see as the build up here and they know 
And the best thing is when they're willing to do it. Because really, I'm just become, and maybe you, I know many of you have been there, where someone has poured their heart out, and you're just a sounding board. You're not going to bounce out all these corrections. You, they, they, they speak to you, and as you listen to them and inquire, if you would, then, then they answer their own problem. They realize what they knew. It just, they just needed to get some of this stuff out of the way. And so they realize, i got to trust in the Lord and just do good. I know the right thing to do. I just don't know if I want to be nice to my husband because I've been mad at him long enough. I, I don't want to be nice. It make me look bad or whatever, however our logic can run. So you get it. It says also in that same verse, verse 3, to dwell, which speaks of to abide and to settle down and to reside. You and I want to remember our, our identity, our, our citizenship. We have national citizenship, if you would, in this world. Wherever you happen to live, you're a citizen of the land. But we want to realize we are to be, we realize who we are as resident aliens. This is not our home. We're a child of the king, therefore to be about the king's business in the foreign land. And I have traveled a little bit and been in foreign countries and been in some pretty um, scary situations, quite honestly, because we're doing ministry work in, in land that didn't, doesn't, um, is very opposed to the gospel. And you just have a different form of sobriety. You know what I'm saying? You're sober-minded. You're aware. You're attentive. You don't speak the language, but you're, you just pick up on things because you're about the king's business in a foreign land. What's a challenge sometimes is when we're in our native land and we then, uh, familiarity breeds contempt, we become so content, so com complacent. So know where your nourishment comes from, know who you are, delight yourself in the Lord. Verse 5, you see there's a, a bit of progression, but a constant exhortation. Commit your way to the Lord. We looked at that last week. Roll, this off, roll it off onto the Lord. It's, you know, cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Learn to just say, God, I can't, I don't know how to deal with this. I'm just going to hand it to you. I hand things to God, and then I literally go to a playlist. So I figuratively, mentally, if you would, I can't physically, like, email, or, you know, send it to him. But I literally just, I kind of just go through this list of things, like this, it's yours, it's yours, it's yours. And, and I need you to sort them out, God. And then I, I, I don't go any further. I then go to a playlist or I go to particular worship songs and I just focus on the, the lyrics of those songs and I listen to those songs because I, that's the only way I can roll it off to him. Otherwise, I hand it off to him. And another thing, could you do this? You know what I mean? I have to just stop and worship. And I just roll it off to him and let him literally kind of bring about what we see in verse 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Carrying on down to verse 8. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. This is what we carried on a little further last week, but I wanted to revisit this portion, even though we touched on it last week, and there's more of an overlap here than normal, but cease from anger and forsake wrath. Once again, do not fret. Don't get agitated. Don't get worked up. You don't get mad. It, only, it generates an action, and it's called wrath. So this overheating, this burning, it only causes harm. What does your wrath produce? Uh, James chapter 1 says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, um, slow to wrath. 
For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So you have to remind yourself, well, getting mad and worked up, it's not going to work it out in a a way that produces God's righteousness. And we want to realize that. Fretting and complaining are teammates. Okay? Fretting, which is what this, because when you're getting worked up, you got to admit, it usually involves a little bit of arrogance. We're convinced our way is right, and because they're such an offense, they're such an injustice, such a horrible thing, then we get really worked up about that thing, but it's because we're right. Well, fretting and complaining, they work side by side against you. One complements the other. You get worked up, and then you complain about it, right? And next thing you know, you're complaining and then getting agitated, fretting, and getting worked up. And I don't, maybe some of you have, have just patterned and followed your cycle. When that particular scenario, maybe it was a person, maybe it was just a wrongdoing that was done to you, however it may be, you, you just uh, get all worked up. And, and then next thing you know, you're complaining and you know, kicking the cat or something, you know, because you're just all worked up over it. They, they work together. And the interesting thing is, it only causes harm. You know this. You've been down this road. Stop it. That's literally what it's speaking of. Put the brakes on. At the bare minimum, I want to learn from my past. Because if you do stupid things in a stupid way and get stupid results and you keep doing it, it's kind of stupid. But if you realize, okay, this always produces the same thing. So therefore, I should stop doing it that way. Or maybe stop doing it completely. I know where it goes. I know where it takes me. The other part, remember, fretting and and, and complaining never work out well. Read what the Bible says about complaining. What's it say? There's never a scenario. There's never a group of people. There's never a point in history. There's never a situation that complaining was the thing that really produced something positive. The, the epitome of examples, I think, would be the nation Israel wandering in the wilderness simply because they complained. They complained, and, and I'm sure their sniveling and whining and complaining was justified. Well, you don't understand. See, if this wasn't been done, and then this would have been like this. And it's like, you know, every one of us that complain, we are right. We, that's why we complain. We don't complain, I'm so stupid. You know, that's a different type of inverted pride. We, we, what is it? We're right, but we're so right, we're wrong. Because now we're complaining, and what happens is, you know, these two things, you know, complaining and fault-finding, because they, they lead together, right? When you're complaining about a scenario or a situation, you'll find yourself pointing fingers at somebody or something. You're going to find fault. They're like water poured on the embers of faith. They not only distract and, and deceive your reasoning as we start embracing them, we get all weird, but they dilute and douse what faith you have. You can't complain. Just think about what happened with the nation of Israel. It was their complaining that kept them from experiencing the blessing of God. It kept them from the promised land. It was their complaining. It wasn't that the, I mean, yeah, life was hard and things were difficult, but it was, it was, it was really their complaining. That got in the way. And I think it's tied together with this whole fretting thing. And now we're in verse 9 to 11. I'm going to touch on that. Just highlight a couple things and work our way to verse 12. But evildoers will be cut off. Those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. This is, you know, God will avenge. 
He says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So keep eternity in view. His timing's perfect. And there's some things that I, some people here in our fellowship and our church are going through. It is really hard to keep eternity in view. They're going through some very difficult health issues. Some people are going through some really, really hard relationships things. Others are going through financial stress beyond comprehension. And it's really hard to keep eternity of view when you're in the midst of that type of a fire. But I want to encourage you, just keep your eyes up. Keep your eyes on him. Really our encouragement here is just, you know, it, it, it'll get worked out. You know, a, a little while and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but he shall be no more. Those who think they got the world all in their hands, they kind of do. But this world will pass away. This earth will pass away and they'll end up with, they'll have nothing. The meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Now let's just walk through. We're going to work through at a nice steady pace just looking at the text. We're going to look now in verses 12 through 15. I want to read that group together and then I'll give you some thoughts to, to consider and points to ponder in regards to that. Verse 12. The wicked plots against the just. And gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy, to slay the, those who are of upright conduct. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. It's amazing how intensely some people hate Christians. Have you noticed it? Maybe it's not just because we have. You know, better news sources. I mean, I don't know if I could say better news sources. We have more news sources, correct? With, you know, various social media type of approach. And, you're, and I'm talking about your own personal choices. You can make various choices and select and find, get the information coming in that you couldn't have got 100 years ago, 50 years ago, 25 years ago. So it's not that just that the, the more news is more readily available. The truth is, there's a growing intensity, a growing hatred towards Christians numerically. There has always been pockets of it. There's always been portions and parts of the world, some continents even, that are just more evil, dark, with spiritism and different things. But we're just seeing a greater hatred more and more for people who, who even profess to be, you know, to be a Christian. They, they acknowledge Jesus Christ. And people are just getting in outraged. I've seen some of these clips and different videos it's amazing to me how people can get so they, they hate him they it speaks gnashes at him with his teeth it's just oh i hate you you know that that's what's happening in this world we live in but god it's happening i, I want you to be aware i want you you already know but still it's going to intensify because we are in the last days. And there's several portions of scripture that we'll get into in another study that'll show you clearly we live in the last of the last days. And these things will intensify, they will increase in uh, frequency, and they'll increase in intensity. And so that taking place, remember what it says here the Lord laughs at him. In other words, the Lord does not, he is not impressed. It, it, you know, here's the thing you know, there's times that Christians will die for what they believe. And it seems like the wicked one. And so there's these, you know, horrible things that have happened historically. Millions of people have been killed before, because they're Christians. And it seems like the world won. But the world didn't win. That person entered into eternity, removed from suffering and everything in this world, and will suffer no more. And a part of a new heaven and a new earth, no more sorrow, no more crying. 
That person's been liberated, if you would, and the person, the people that brought that death upon them, well, basically, they will, they will be eternally separated from everything good. That's what hell, hell is. It's choosing to go to a place where there is no good. It's almost the effect of dying daily for eternity. It's what people choose to do. So it's, we see this contrast as we go through this particular psalm. You know, there's this contrast of how the wicked are and how God is faithful. And we have to understand it's given in the picture of eternity in view. Because if we measure off some of these skirmishes and some of these uprisings and some of these horrible things that happen, you would say, like many critics say, you can't tell me God is faithful. 42 people died, 42 Christians died on that boat because of this happened. And this, they were, you, know, you, you see what I'm saying? You can't reconcile it unless you can keep eternity in view. Unless you can realize, okay, this is not the end of it all. This is not the end. Those who bring about horrible things upon other people, the wicked people of this world, will be accountable. And, and, and God is just, and he will reconcile all this. Verse, uh, let's move on to verse, where, to verse 7, 16, 17. A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. So what we see here is just this reminder, a little a righteous man had is better than the riches. I would just say be content, don't be a malcontent. A malcontent is somebody who's dissatisfied and always wanting more and kind of complaining a lot. And he's just saying, listen, just be content with what you have. A little that you have is better than having all this riches gotten in a wicked way, received in a wicked way. Now you've got to deal with that. Verse 18 the Lord knows the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadows, shall vanish into smoke. They shall vanish away. A contrast, once again, between those who submit to God and those who stand in defiance to God. Somebody had sent me a little video clip today um, about this person who calls himself the prophet and declares that we don't need God. We don't need God. We can fix everything. And literally, and that's what you're seeing. Are you not noticing some of this? Not just the AI, this artificial intelligence, which relies upon human intelligence to work, but that's a sidebar. <laughs> so here's, here's this world we're living in. We're finding ways that we can... We can somehow maybe uh, create a biological human without having, uh, we can just do it out of test tubes and we can do it with science and, and we're finding ways that we can create this and prevent this and, and now we're manipulating the weather because we can now control the weather so we think. There's a problem with all this. People aren't as smart as they think they are and they end up messing up a lot of things and messing up a lot of people but there's a lot of arrogance in our world today. There's such a, such a focus it's a humanistic mindset, but it's worse than that. It's the Tower of Babel gone bad. Because what was the deal in the Tower of Babel? You remember from the Old Testament. They were going to build this thing. They were going to be like God. They are going to rise up above the lower level. They're going to just have this thing. And God said, you know, you're not as smart as you think you are. And he literally dispersed them. Where they didn't even have a common communication, a common language. 
But now there's this, this mindset. We can, we can bypass God. We can create people. We can eliminate people that are not favorable. We can take care. We can, through science, we can prevent. This, this arrogance says we can prevent all these diseases. Okay, hotshot, start with cancer. You seem to have a problem there. You can't seem to figure that one out. And I could go on on several others. So I, but there's this arrogance. Are we not? Do we see it? It's growing. And you're going to be treated like a fool and an idiot if you don't buy into it, if you don't line up with it and say, yeah, I agree with it. There's a contrast between those who submit to God and those who stand in defiance of God. I believe we have certain truths and science shows certain things on a horizontal plane. And when you bring the wisdom of this world, you settle it and you infuse it, bring into it wisdom from above that James talks about. Then you have a true understanding of, of the, the laws of nature and certain things that are provable and, and the realities of medical science and the great progress and the amazing things that have been accomplished in our world through the study of just reality. But let's not say, oh, that means we can take God out of the picture. Because we, we, we know that. We understand that. It's just who we engage with, whether they will agree with us or not. Verse 21 the wicked borrows and does not repay, but the righteous shows mercy and gives. For those blessed by him shall inherit the earth, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. Um, <laughs> borrow indicates there was an agreement to repay. Otherwise, it would say whoever steals or ever takes. So it says here, you know, Lost my place. 21, the wicked borrows and does not repay. So if you've ever been there, I've actually had that happen. Maybe many, possibly many of you have had it even among believers where they agree to something, but then they don't do it. Oh, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll buy that. I'll pay for that. I had a situation, wasn't a believer, it was a family member, which I knew better because everybody knows better on that one. I sold a vehicle to a family member and... Uh, didn't get paid back for all of it because there was problems with it, which they could have never done to a stranger, but to a family member. You, you know, it was weird. I'm like, what? But I think actually it was an intent on the start. And so I, I learned a little bit about how to deal with those kind of things. There's a, there's a, a reality in our world that there's just some people, they just are looking to get whatever you have in whatever way they can. And it, we're told to be what? Wise as serpents and gentle. Or even it says, the word there carries the connotation of innocent as doves. Where you're just like, hey, I'm aware, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of deal with it. So, understand, you get it. You know, they agreed to repay, but then they justified their breach of agreement. And I always want to encourage you, hey, there's some things you have to work out and reconcile, but make sure you're not trying to breach the agreement for your own justification. The blessed by him shall inherit the earth. Those who have turned their back on him or cursed by him shall be cut off. Verse 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds him with his hand. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And it really uh, speaks of, if you would, um, they're, they're established, they're you know, their, their place and their firm. You may skin your, chi your shins and bruise your knees, but he'll never let you go. And, and I like the picture of a parent 
holding a child's hand. Maybe you've done that with your child as you're holding their hand and you're walking through the park or whatever and they're just barely walking ages, you know, and as you're walking along and they stumble, you notice it almost instantly, correct? And what do you do? You let go, see what they'll learn? Never seen that happen. You hold tighter and instantly kind of raise them up. But you also know they need to, they need to stumble a little bit to learn their balance. So sometimes you kind of hold them loose and then you let them kind of, and you're trying, because you're teaching them, you're, you're wanting them to grow. And I, I kind of let that image be in my mind, if you would, about how we're, we're learning this journey, we're learning to walk, we're learning to stay close to God. Now, that's one picture with the toddler, but when you're in a precarious place and you have like a 12-year-old, like, listen, hold hands. We got to get through this section, hold hands. You know what? It's pretty hard to hold them sometimes because you got to like pull them in and they're fighting you. And I think, man, that's a picture of a Christian. <laughs> but God, you know, he just keeps you close because it's close. He says right here, the Lord upholds him with his hand. And I believe he does support us. Now, I don't want you to miss the first part. You probably will have some bruised knees and skinned shins as you go through life. And you're going to cry and you're going to look at it, and you're going to realize you got an owie, and hopefully you're going to listen to God's comfort, because he's going to say, I love you. Could I give you a little bit of advice? I love you. Would you consider my way next time? Because you can do it your way again. I mean, you got another shin, <laughs> you know. You see... I want to encourage you to stay close. Steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And notice verse 25. I have been young and now am old. There's a deep thought. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. He is ever merciful and lends, and his descendants are blessed. David, at a point in his life where he's realizing um, a lot of things, I'm sure, as we get along, as we get older, as we age, um, we have opportunity to grow. Aging's automatic. Maturity's a choice. And David chooses to see. I, I, I've seen some tough things, and he had. If you know his life, he was functionally rejected by his brothers, basically looked down upon even by his dad, wasn't even invited, invited to the barbecue with Samuel. You had, there's a lot of family dynamics he's working through. He, he faces challenges uh, against, you know, predators that would eat the sheep. Uh, a lot of different things throughout his life. And at this point, he's looking back and like, I, you know, I've, I, I've seen a lot, but I have not seen the righteous forsaken. Nor his descendants begging bread. God has always provided. And if you look in your life, you'll probably see the same thing. God has always provided. Did he give you as much as you asked for? No, he gave you as much as you needed. Because what you asked for might have hurt you. But what you need will always take care of you. He's ever merciful and lends. His descendants are blessed. Verse 27. Depart from evil and do good, and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. Uh, I've seen in this first section here, verse 27, depart from evil and do good. Once he's, we're seeing again and again, somewhat of repetitious but not redundant, 
we see this reminder of the wicked and the righteous and the choices that really kind of get you into those categories, so to speak. And here he's saying there in verse 27, reminded you of me, depart from evil and do good. I could show you some New Testament passages where that same exhortation is there. To choose life, to choose to honor God, you know, to, to live a godly life is a choice. It's, it's, we need God's strength. We couldn't do it on our own. We love because he first loved us. We have the capacity to do it. But we have free will to, to make that choice. And he's saying, you know, depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. When we depart from evil, that which destroys our lives, that which destroys others, when we depart from it and do good, you dwell differently. There's an inner peace. As it says in Philippians 4, a peace that surpasses understanding. Because when we give it over to the Lord, when we learn to pray with thankfulness, we start seeing his presence, recognizing his presence, walking according to his ways. There's a peace that surpasses understanding and calms us. And we do dwell in, in, in a fascinating way. The Lord loved justice. Go to verse 30. The mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom and the tongue talks of justice. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. The law of his God is in his heart. I felt uh, that stuck out to me. The law of his God. When you think of the law, it's the principle, the truths, the, the, these, these things that we can grasp and, and take hold of as we're reminded and, and as they're revealed to us. It's in his heart. Well, you know, we know that's not speaking of the capacity to reason. We know that would be in the cranium. What's he speaking of? What's the Bible talking about in a, a type of, you know, uh, poetic form when it speaks of the heart? It's the core of your being. Some translations, older translations, use the word bowels, the bowels, speaking of the very innermost part of our being. The law of the Lord is in the innermost part. And I find that very important because that's the core, the center point. My mind won't always agree with it. My feelings won't always align with it. My will won't even always be there, but it doesn't change. It's still there. So it gives me this return point, this kind of a, you ever had to set, reset something and you had to go back to default? Like, you know, you can't get the right printer to print, so you have to set it as a default printer. Well, there's that default. We want to go back to the very heart because the matter of the heart is the heart of the matter, as many have said. It's like, okay, let's just get to I want to hear, as we already talked about, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. That's the heart. And so how do I get there? How do I do that? It's really not that complicated. I have to remember I'm not the master, I'm the servant. To be faithful, I have to be able to understand what was instructed and fulfill that instruction that would be faithful. To fulfill that instruction, if I know the master, I'll realize I'm not called to do it of my own resources. I'm enabled by him to fulfill what he's laid before me, what he's given to me. So he equips you, enables you, walks alongside you and says, good job when you do it. But he did it. <laughs> he invites us to it. He just says, listen, just stay with me. I don't want to. Okay. I'll wait right here with you. Well, I, I, it's so fascinating. The very heart, hold on to what you want, what you know to be true, what you desire, what you know of God in your heart. Don't let 
hurts, relationships, issues of this life rob you from the very core of what's in this, who you are. Um, the wicked watches the righteous and seeks to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand nor condemn him when he is judged. Wait on the Lord and keep his way and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. I have seen the wicked in great power, spreading himself like a native green tree, yet he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Indeed, I sought him, but he could not be found. David had many enemies, we know, as king of Israel. Um, He had many enemies even uh, within the kingdom. But these words of wisdom, wait on the Lord and keep his way, are so important. Because you will face challenges, there will be things come upon you. Uh, and you, you have, most of you have been around long enough to go, I have seen people with a lot of power, a lot of, a lot of persuasion, a lot of influence. And then they were not. You know, then they were not. I could rattle off a few names that nationally you would know, even some locally, um, as far as within our region, they were doing fine. They were, this, they were the top of their deal. They had everything, and then they had nothing. A heart attack, a health issue. Um, just all of a sudden, what they were all about just literally spun out and was no more. And, there, and then there was just, just nothing. And he's speaking of even they have passed away, which we understand to be that they're, they're just they're gone. Verse 37, Mark the blameless man... And observe the upright. For the future of that man is peace, but the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. Once again, we see this ongoing reminder of the contrast between the righteous and the wicked. Verse 39, but the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. And shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. Let's pray. God, may we realize that more and more because we trust in you. Not because we learn how to do everything right. Not because somehow we're better than anyone else. Because your salvation has been brought to us individually. And so God, may we not take lightly the great price you paid for our salvation. You died on a cross. You rose from the dead. You conquered death and hell. You did so much. Even just those simple words have such depth, stir such emotion and, and such um, things that are hard to comprehend of your love and, and why you would do all that and, and how you would count us worthy and why you would endure all of that. But you did because you love us. You've proven yourself. You invite us to cast all of our care upon you And you even tell us a good reason why, because you care for us. Thank you, God. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Lord, may we be like the Father, petitioning you to help his son. And he declared to you what cries in our hearts as well. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I trust you. Help me where I don't trust you. Lord, teach me to be an honest person in my relationship with you, knowing you are faithful and perfect in all of your ways.
Thank you for this night. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the fellowship. Thank you for the time we have together, God. We rejoice in your goodness. It's in your glorious name we pray. We ask all of these things. In your sweet name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.